Father, we, we give you thanks, honor, and glory. You have transferred through the ages this story for 2,000 years. And prior to that, the foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah, how he was to be born for us. He was the one that was to bring salvation. We get it, Lord. We pray that the world would as well. But as we go through Luke, I pray that you would bring to mind and help us hold it in our memory, the true story of what took place and what you thought was necessary to mention so that we might walk away with it. And remember, not everything was rosy and peachy, so to speak. But Father, in spite of all of that, in spite of the difficulties, your son agreed to come and be the sacrifice. Help us to remember this. Keep it in the forefronts of our minds today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. So the kids get excited about Christmas and the lights and the preparation, and we get excited watching the kids and grandkids. And I'm going to go through or bring to remembrance the circumstances leading up to the birth of Jesus all the way until he finally arrives in Nazareth with his parents. Now, an overview of the birth of Jesus. I have several points here. Zechariah was told by an angel that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a child, we know as John the Baptist. An angel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a child who would save his people. Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel uh, talked to Mary and and uh, let her know that Jesus would be born. And Gabriel told Joseph, don't be afraid to take her, uh, Mary, as your wife. Then there was the birth of the John the Baptist in Judea. Then the birth of Jesus takes place in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Magi from the east visited Jesus and brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God warned the Magi not to return to Herod to tell him where the king of the Jews was born. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Jesus and Mary and flee to Egypt. Herod issued a decree that all children in Bethlehem two years and under would be killed. After Herod's death, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and told him to take Jesus and Mary back to the land of Israel. Joseph was warned by God in another dream not to go to Judea, so he took Jesus and Mary to Nazareth of Galilee and Jesus grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him so that's surmising everything that took place in this now there were five appearances of angels and four dreams in this account God was making sure that this went off without a hitch that people understood completely I've often thought about If God wanted to speak to you in a dream, how vivid would it be? Would you wake up immediately after the dream and go, whoa, that was just no, whoa, I need to do what this says. I think that's the type of dream. It it would almost be scary to have that type of dream where God just says, this is what you're going to do. And then you have to follow through with that. Now, we're going to start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah, it is believed that he was probably 65 years old. 65 years old, and his wife is probably right around that age, Elizabeth. And usually when you get to 65, you're not anticipating having children. That's a little bit beyond the time where you would be happy, right? You'd say, oh, no, yeah. a baby. What if it was twins? Oh, you know, it just, it would be even worse to have that. But Elizabeth, 
she was excited. <laughs> yeah, she, she just can't wait because she didn't have any children. And back then, if you didn't have a child, it was a disgrace not to have children. So she was very, very excited. Now, the Jews had a rotation system for the Levites who Zechariah was a part of. He was from the tribe of Levi. And they were in charge of keeping the temple operation. Now, a temple is set up where you or I, if there was a temple that we could go to, we would go and we would pay homage to a deity there. Now, this is rampant throughout all of history. All these temples have been built. Perhaps you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, the Philistine god Dagon, he, he had the upper torso of a human being and the tail of a fish. And they set up this image of Dagon in their temple. And if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and they put it in their temple. And eventually, a couple of things happened, but eventually that uh, false god fell over, was decapitated, and the hands were cut off. It was kind of like God was saying with the Ark of the Covenant, there's not going to be any other gods around me that are going to be able to be worshipped. And so this Ark of the Covenant was placed there, and they wanted to get rid of it because of that. They are also getting ill, and, and they said, let's just take this thing back. And so that's a whole story there, but they had this temple of Dagon that they would worship. Well, we also... If you remember, uh, we were going to go to the city of Petra if we went to Israel. And that was to worship. Uh, if you went to Petra, the first place you come to is the Nabataean Temple, which is there. Now, I've been listening to a lot of stuff on uh, Muslim uh, theology and Islam and its origin. And there's so many things to know about it. But know this, that the, the people who practice Islam... They hold that Mecca is where everything happened. And Mecca wasn't even in existence at the time of Muhammad. There's so many falsehoods that they have been taught. And actually, it was the Nabataean god that they end up worshiping. And through a couple of, um, what do they call it, uh, the caliphates, the caliphs who were the head of that. I, I'm not sure if that's the name, but the, the guy who was in charge. They ended up creating this religion, and it came from the Nabataeans. It came from the temple there at Petra. And the Nabataeans were all over the world, and they would come there to bury their dead, and they were known for carving dwelling places out of stone. And so you see that temple. They would honor the Nabataean god there, which eventually became Allah. And if you do a history search on that, it's just fascinating. Anyhow, I digress. So you have the temple at Dagon. You have the temple at Petra. You have the temple to Diana. Remember, that was where they worshipped the sex goddess. And by the way, if you look at our Supreme Court, the building that is there, it is modeled after that type of architecture in the temple to Diana. That's it, a little disturbing to me to find that out, but it's that, just that Greek architecture uh, that is there. Then there was the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple of Jerusalem was a marvelous place. It was beautiful. Solomon's temple was just incredible. And the, to describe the temple, first there is the tabernacle. And remember, Zechariah is part of the group that ministered in the temple. He shows up to the temple to do his job. He is chosen by Lot. And he goes in there. And of course, uh, I'll get to the rest of the story on that. But temples in general are where people would honor their gods, and he goes in to honor Yahweh, 
Now, Yahweh is the name of our God. That's his first name. It means ego ami in Greek. It means in English, I am. And when Jesus declared that he was God, I think it's in John eight fifty eight, he said, I am. He was declaring himself to be the deity, the God of the burning bush in the Old Testament. Remember Moses? Moses asked God, he said, well, who do I say is sending me? And I'll read it to you. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So that's our God's name, Yahweh. Now it can be translated Jehovah as well. This is called a tetragrammaton. It's Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H. When you look at it in the English, in the King James, it's capitalized. And so that is referring to the name of God. And the Jews felt that they could not uh, say his name. And so they would substitute it with either Adonai or Hashem is what they would say instead of the name of God. Or they would just simply say the name. And that's what Hashem means. And so Zechariah shows up to the temple, not the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent. Now, looking at this building right here, the tabernacle itself, if you would have walked into it, it would have been about 15 feet wide and about 40 feet long. This sanctuary is 40 feet right here and only 15 feet wide. When you walked in from your perspective... On the, your left-hand side, you would have had a candlestick, a single candlestick that was there. On the right-hand side, you would have a table of showbread. If you came up to this part, say this was the Holy of Holies, a curtain would separate that. You would have right here behind me an altar of incense. There is one depiction where that altar of incense is just on the inside of that curtain. Once you go inside, you have the Ark of the Covenant there, and a priest once a year would go in there. That's not the temple. Now, the temple construction, Daryl has about three pictures I want him to show you here. Now, this is a model of the temple in Jerusalem. Some people would say, well, this is more like Herod's temple, not Solomon's temple. But you can see there is the court of the women. That's the first opening there before the temple. And you go beyond that, you have the court of the men and the priests on the inside. So the women were not allowed to go into that inner area. And on the outside of those walls are the courts of the Gentiles. And this is where Zechariah shows up. Show him the next picture, if you would. This is another depiction of that. And, and then when you look at these depictions... Everyone I looked at, there was something that wasn't quite right. It's kind of like the shows that talk about Jesus and his birth and all of that you see on television. None of them are quite right. They don't do it according to what the scripture says. And so you want to keep that in mind. In the next picture. Now, this would be looking from the gate, beautiful outside of the wall, looking into the temple. And this is what it would have looked like. And you would have had hundreds of people there, whether their steps were going on there or not, we're not quite sure. But you would go from the, t- uh, the court of the women and inside the court of the men and the court of the priests. And on the inside, 
you would have several things there. Now, to describe the temple as opposed to the tabernacle, which was a tent, this is what David drew up plans for, and Solomon ended up building. It was destroyed, and then it was Herod who came in and rebuilt it. It was a magnificent structure. Now, on the inside, show that next picture there. This would be the inside. Everything is covered in gold. On your left-hand side, you would have had five golden candlesticks. On the right-hand side, you would have had five golden candlesticks. On the right side, you would have had five tables of showbread. On the left side, you would have had five tables of showbread. Right in the front, you see the altar of incense, which is there. And back behind that, it's not showing the curtain. The curtain is not in this picture. But then you have the cherubim back there and you have the Ark of the Covenant and it is a magnificent structure and you're walking in, it's all gold and it's all candle lit, so to speak, these lampstands that are there. Zechariah goes into this place by himself because he was of the lineage or the clan of Abijah and Abijah was scheduled to come into the temple and this is something that David and Solomon had set up and so they would rotate by different clans and by lot he was chosen to go into the temple and put more incense on the altar he's the only one in there now I'll give you more description of this in Solomon's temple there you had the laver which was a big washing basin that was out in front it, it you're supposed to take the sacrifice and make sure you wash it and then you put it on the altar and the altar was like 30 feet by 30 feet and and the laver was seven and a half feet high and there was probably 17,000 gallons of water in it it was just massive and then on the sides of the temple you had five basins that the priest could watch in a wash in on the right hand side and on the left hand side just outside the temple walls I mean it was a busy place there and the sacrifice was going on and hundreds of people going in and out during the time of the festivals there would be literally tens of thousands of people going in and out of this you should look up pictures of what it used to look like magnificent structure that was there so Zechariah he comes up with this lot so to speak casting lots it's either bones or whatever it is or dice and they roll those things out there and they go oh you're that you were chosen so he gets out there he gets the incense he's probably fiddling with it a little bit getting ready to put it on the altar of incense and all of a sudden an angel is on the right hand side of the altar of incense now i don't know about you but if you saw an angel just appeared not your wife but if you saw an angel that appeared next to the altar and he had any of his glory with him, you would probably faint right there. And he was certainly startled and the angel said, do not be afraid. Now we're going to pick up this little uh, picture here of what's going on. In Luke chapter 5, we're going into Zechariah who was serving. Excuse me, Luke chapter 1 verse Five is where we're picking it up. And remember, he's standing in front of the altar of incense, and then the angel is on the right-hand side of this. It says, In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. He was, excuse me a minute. 
<laughs> it's moving on me all by itself. Zechariah's division, verse 8, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, why is it doing this on me here? Hold on. It's just moving all by itself. I rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me. Okay. It says, and when the time... Hold on a second. What's going on here? Satan doesn't want me to read it. It's like me. It's breaking down. Okay, here we go. Let's go back to the place. Let's try it again. Verse 9. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So you have hundreds of people outside. He walks up there and delivers the incense to the inside. Then an angel of the Lord, verse 11, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, you think. And he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. See, it's a singular prayer. Lord, give my wife a child, a son. That's the prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. How long do you think you've been praying? A long time. Usually they got married as teenagers. And now he's probably 65 years old. The power of prayer. You think, oh, God just doesn't want us to have children. And look how long he continued in this. He will be a joy, verse 14, and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. What kind of signs would you make if you couldn't speak with your... You know, how would you describe that to somebody that you saw an angel? You know, where's a writing tablet? They didn't have paper and pen like us. You know, and so he's just trying to, I'm sure he's really excited what's going on, but he just can't speak. He can't say anything. Now, verse 23, when this time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So this is a lesson for the ladies. 
If you are a senior citizen, you get pregnant, you just say, praise the Lord, he has done this favor for me. Now let's go on in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent his angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Imagine Mary hearing that. (laughs) Eyebrows go up, the mouth turns into an O like she can hardly believe this. And it says, um, verse 37, so nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried down the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So I'm sure what she did, the angel Gabriel comes, tells her what's going on. She immediately says, I got to go see Elizabeth. She packs up and she goes down and sees her. When Elizabeth heard, verse 41, Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the, the baby knew Mary was coming, who is going to be the mother of the Messiah, Jesus. And Mary and Elizabeth, they were relatives. They were cousins. We don't know exactly how the relationship went, if she was an aunt or second cousin removed, we don't know, but they were family, which means John the Baptist and Jesus were related to each other. And they probably grew up with each other. You know, they were, John the Baptist as a kid would stand up and maybe quote some scripture and Jesus would part the sand in the sandbox, you know, just little stuff like that. I don't know exactly what he would do, but they played with each other. And John was really zealous and gung-ho. He probably got on the jungle gym and just ran all over the place. And Jesus would be there, nice, calm, full of wisdom. And yeah, he would say, no, don't do this too radically. We want to make sure that everything is preserved. I'm putting Bill's version of the Bible in there. But you could see them just growing up together, being kids together. You know, we, we sent our son when he was young up to be with his cousin up around Bishop, California. And recently he got married, the cousin got married, and he would tell me that my son Scotty and him, since we'd take him up there for a week and we'd just turn him loose, they would go exploring. They would go out from morning till evening fishing and looking at animals and looking at rocks and just the whole time they grew up together. They were friends together. And that's what Jesus was, I'm sure, with John the Baptist. Now, it's incredible that John didn't know that he was the Messiah until Jesus came to get baptized. Then he knew, but he knew who Jesus was. Now, it goes on here. 
Mary went down uh, to the hill country to Judea, Judea to see Elizabeth. And when the baby heard the Mary, Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in the womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, I don't want to do it in a loud voice. You know, but she almost is screaming. That This is almost like a superlative here. Blessed are you among women and blessed is a child you are a bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed, and what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. When was the last time you greeted somebody like that? Somebody walks into your house and blessed is the Lord who created everything, and you are here in my... I mean, she's just beside herself. Because this is a miracle that has taken place. This isn't like a purported miracle. It is a miracle. She was barren, and now she has child, and now she's seeing the mother of the Messiah. It's like, this is an incredible sight, filled with joy. And that's what Christmas should be, a time filled with joy. Now, it goes on here, we have what is known as the Magnificat. If you've never heard this before, that is the title of what takes place from verse 46 to 55. And Mary, she ends up coming up with all of these words just off the cuff, being filled with the Spirit, I'm sure. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So this is what Mary just runs into this blessing to God for everything that she has done or God has done for her. And she's giving it right back to him, giving him the glory for everything. And there's a lesson to be learned in this. If you are blessed in any way, you know whom you're supposed to give the glory to. If some good fortune comes your way, it is God who has brought it to you. It's not chance. It's not happenstance. God has determined exactly what we need and he wants to bless us. He delights in blessing us. And you might say, well, how come I don't get a lot of blessings? Just look around. We live in the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. You have running water. You have a heater. You probably have on-demand water with your new water heater. You have forced air. You have air conditioning. You have a house over your head that's worth a lot of money or you're living in a place that's worth a lot of money compared to the rest of the world. You have an automobile. You have an LED screen or some type of television. You have a radio. You have a phone that is more complicated than the Apollo 11 astronauts had in their cabin. I mean, it's just all this stuff. We have, we have medical care. If you go to a dentist, they don't have to pull a, a tooth without giving you Novocaine. You can get drugged all up. You don't feel a thing. You wake up and go, hello. And, and you're just fine after that. 
It wasn't the case back then. And yet she's praising God for this. And she's a virgin. She's only espoused to be married. She doesn't even think about, oh no, what is Joseph going to think? This is not good. You see everything that's taken place and she still blesses God. We can do the same thing with the circumstances that we have. And in all things, we're to give thanks to God, especially at Christmas. Jesus is born. He's the greatest gift of all. We want to give thanks for that. Verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three more months and then returned home. Now we can piece things together here. Elizabeth is pregnant for six months. Mary stays for how long? Which means it's, Nine months, 40 weeks. She's there until the birth of John the Baptist. I'm sure she's very excited about this. And the baby comes and, you know, Elizabeth gives birth. And she probably had a little bit of pain going through that. But after the baby was born, you know, Scripture says the woman forgets about the pain for the joy of having the birth of the baby there. Verse 57 when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Now, why did she stay in seclusion that whole time? <laughs> it's like, I'm sure people would have come out. If you knew somebody was 65 or close to 65 and got pregnant, and you knew them really well, would you stop by and, no way, let me see. I, I can't believe this is happening. How many people would come by and just want to see you. And especially as you got bigger. You know, your maximum density. You have this baby out there. And people would be, I, I just want to see how you're doing on the end. And the community was tight-knit. You know, the Jews, they were tight-knit people. And so it's probably like, I just need some rest. Let me sleep a little bit. That's probably what was going on there. And Mary was probably the doorkeeper. No, she's feeling fine. She's just resting. Okay, thank you. I'll tell her you said hello and shuts the door. You know, that, you have to put it in terms that we'll understand. It's almost like this story is ethereal. It happened a long time ago in a land far, far away. And we don't pay attention or imagine what the details were of these things. And we need to personalize this stuff. It's like, wow, this, this is really taking place at a time I, I don't understand. Now, going on, it says on the eighth day, verse 59, on the eighth day, the uh, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah but his mother spoke up and said no he is to be called John they said to her there is no one among your relatives who has been named who has that name Have, were you guys named after a relative I was I was named after uh, my father and my uncle and, and that's a tradition and that's a tradition 2000 years ago as well that you're named after somebody in your family lineage and he asked for writing to or they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child verse 63 he asked for a writing tablet to everyone astonishment he wrote his name is john immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak praising god the neighbors were all filled with awe. I, I, I can just see this. All these people in the house. And he, he actually starts speaking. He gets his voice back. And everybody's just going, this is incredible. What's going on here? The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this 
wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, Mary had the Magnificat. This is called the Benedictus. If you want a technical term for that, it simply means blessed. In verse 68 through 70, the Benedictus is also known as the Song of Zechariah or the Candlesel of Zachary. That's what this has been called through church history. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets long ago. So that's, that's like chapter one. And you're going, wow, Elizabeth had this miraculous thing happen. Zechariah was a part of it. All the neighbors heard about it. All in the area of Judea, they're, they're talking about it. It's, a, it's murmuring through the people, not in a bad way, but it's just kind of a buzz through the people. Then we hit chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2, we have the census. We have Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. We have shepherds. We have angels. We have uh, the city of Bethlehem, what's taking place there with Mary and Joseph still there, and the circumcision and Simeon. There's several things that are going on on here, but we're just going to go through it so we get the full story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So being of the household of David, Joseph and Mary both had to go back to Bethlehem, the city of David, to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. If you were to go to Bethlehem, uh, and you would see the caves and stuff that are there. They're fairly confident that they know the place of the birth of Jesus. Because after Jesus was born, people would have been marking that spot. They would have been saying, this is the spot. When things happen to us, good or bad, we know the spot as a community, as a nation. Like, for instance, where did 9-11 take place? We all know where that took place. Where did the San Francisco earthquake take place? San Francisco. We, we know these things and specific events as well, both tragic and good. We know the destination, the locations. Now, some of them were lost over time, but for the most part, a couple of these places like the burial place of Jesus, they're pretty confident they know where it is, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's not the garden tomb where he was laid, although it's, it's similar. That is not where Jesus was laid. And so they, they have these places down. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Judea. Oh, I read that already. Verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I don't know about you, but every time I get to this verse, especially where it says, 
Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. Do you know what I think of when that comes up? I think of, of all things, a Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus sang it. Because everything goes silent and it's just very solemn. In that little cartoon, I'm just going, wow, Linus could have said this. Anyhow, going on. You have suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appear with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, I'm just going to continue to read, and I'm going to go back for a couple of these things, just so we get the full story. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here eight days later... On the eighth day, when the time had come to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be concentrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I don't know how he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, he might have known Zechariah, and he might have been there with the testimony that Zechariah had with Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist because he was circumcised as well, and they were talking about maybe the Messiah coming, and he could have found out from that. But Simeon was given this promise, you're not going to die until you see The Messiah. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to to cause the falling of rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So sadness was prophesied to come. There was also a prophetess, verse 36, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. That's a long time to be single serving the Lord. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. 
When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now between verse 38 and 39, there are several years that are in there, which I'll get to. Now, we've completed the part in uh, Luke, but we're going to jump over to Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 2, we have some more information about what was taking place. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. But he sent them, or he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. The star had been seen in the east, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down to worship him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. And again, I'll expand on this a little bit. Verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child to his and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then he, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the town of Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So that's the summarization of the birth of Jesus. God thought it necessary to include John the Baptist there, as a relative of Jesus and Elizabeth and Zachariah. And this is the Christmas story. Now I'm going to make some observations in no particular order about the story here. How long before Joseph and Mary and Jesus ended up in Nazareth? If you look at what happened, first he comes down from that area to Bethlehem with Mary because Mary 
and Joseph has to register in Bethlehem for the purposes of taxes in the Roman government. So she gives birth and she stays there seven days. This is the time of her purification as well. And after that seven days, they go back up to Jerusalem, just a few miles away. They go to the temple. Jesus gets circumcised. Then they go back to Bethlehem. They don't go up north yet. They go back to Bethlehem. And we know that they were there at least two years because the Magi show up. The Magi didn't go to Nazareth. The Magi went to Bethlehem. And it was about two years prior that this star appeared. So they're hanging out in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, with that, how long were they there? Well, we know at least two years, but what happened after that? They went to Egypt. They went farther south. Well, how long were they in Egypt? It is believed that Herod died in A.D. 4. Now, when you try to get the time of Jesus' birth, it goes either way three to five years. Some people will say A.D. 4, or they'll say B.C. 3. We, we don't know exactly the exact year. We'd like to say it's A.D. 1. He was born in that first year, but it's not that way. So Jesus, with Mary and Joseph, could have been in Egypt for five to 12 years. We don't know how many years. You read different scholars on it, and they go, well, probably five years. Another one said, oh, he could have been almost a teenager by that time. By the time they go back up to Nazareth. And that's not really told us here. You just have to kind of read between the lines and figure out what's going on. And again, he didn't settle back in Bethlehem because he was told, nah, get to the north. Because the Archelaus, he was ruling there and he could have been a problem for Jesus. So that's where he goes and settles up in Nazareth. Now, if you think about this a minute, did Jesus have brothers and sisters? He did. Did they have birth control? No, they didn't. Did Joseph know Mary as his wife in a biblical sense when they were down in Egypt? I think so. I think he did. Do you think that Mary got pregnant again? Uh, I think so. And if it was 5 to 12 years, how many times should she get pregnant? Could she get pregnant in 5 to 12 years? Quite a few times. And... So if he's down in Egypt with Mary, his wife, Jesus is there. All of a sudden, there are a bunch of little rugrats everywhere. He has this whole family with him. And God says, all right, pick up. I want you to go north. Over 350 miles north. When was the last time you were on foot with five, six, seven kids traveling on the road Mary, hurry up. Will you wait, Joseph? I've got little Joseph here. You know, I got to take care. Oh, I could just see it. What a road trip that would have been for Joseph and Mary to go all the way to the north to the district of Galilee. Oh, what a trial that would have been. Well, the Lord knows what he's doing. He told us to go along this way. The Lord's will be done. Praise be the Lord. You know, I, I could see that happening. But what a trial that would have been for them. And just the distance from like Cairo to Nazareth is over 350 miles. And so what a trip. Now you get in the picture of what's going on here. Not to mention the nativity scene. 
born in a stable, could have been a cave, could have been underneath the building there and lays him in a trough. It was probably stone uh, that was meant for feeding of the uh, animals that were there. And it would have been saliva from cows or sheep or something in there. You got to wipe it out, make it clean and put Jesus in swaddling clothes and stick him in the manger right there as Mary sits back and goes, oh, oh. And Joseph's saying, what can I do? Can I get you anything? little effleurage, maybe a little tennis ball in the back. Can I help you in some way? If you're familiar with the Lamaze birthing technique, all of that stuff applies. But that's what they were going through the whole time. But they were still keeping, Mary was, keeping in her heart all the blessings that had come because of this. Now, the purification of the woman. In the book of Leviticus, and we are told that she had to wait for a time for the purification and all of that. In Leviticus chapter 12, it talks about a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son and she's ceremonially unclean for seven days. So that's when the eighth day, the boy could go be circumcised, whether Jesus or another boy who was a Jew. And on the eighth day, after the boy was circumcised, the woman was, must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding after giving birth to a child. She must not touch anything sacred or go into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks the woman, woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. So if she gives birth to a boy, the boy, the woman has to wait if she gives birth to a boy 33 days. But if she gives birth to a girl, it's 66 days. What's the deal with that? I've had this question come up before. What? A girl takes 66 days, but the boy gets off in 33 days, or at least the mother gets off in that amount of time. What's the deal with that? And it almost seems misogynistic. Like, you know, the women can't go in the court where the priests and the men are. They have to stay outside. And Jesus was the one who elevated women, by the way. But this just seems a little unfair. And if you try to look this up, people are all over the place why this is the case. One was, the woman is more susceptible to demonic influence, therefore she needs a little more time. What? What are you talking about? It was just the most random interpretation of the scripture. I'm just going to tell you there's a medical reason for this, and God knew it, and he has something to do Focus on blood. I really need to pack a lot in here. Maybe I'll finish it tonight. But anyhow, when a woman gives birth to a boy, not the same things possibly happen when she gives birth to a girl. When she gives birth to a girl, there are some medical conditions. One is called a false menses. Another one is a neonatal leucorrhea which means she has been inundated inside the womb with lots of estrogen. And when the girl comes out, that estrogen goes away and there can be some effects with a baby girl on that where it actually causes a flow of blood. This happens in 5% of girl infants. And this is a common question out there. If you look it up, it happens. And it can happen for a few weeks or maybe just a little while. And it's nothing to be concerned about. It's something that is a natural process. And apparently, it's because of the blood that the woman has to remain 
unclean for a while, taking care of the little girl. And, and so that's probably the explanation of this. God knew that. This doesn't happen with the boy. So that's probably the difference. And it has to do with blood. Blood is a very special thing in Scripture. There's quite a bit of sensitivity uh, given to it. The blood cleanses our sin. The blood cleanses our conscience. The blood brings forgiveness. The blood redeems. The blood conquers. The blood remains. Uh, the blood endures. All of these things. You could do a Bible study on all of this stuff. What the blood accomplishes the life is in the blood scripture tells us that we know that in the new testament uh, the christians were uh, exhorted not to drink or eat blood because the life is in the blood all of these things and so uh, digressing here a little bit or, or giving a little bit of an expansion this idea of the blood jesus came to give his blood for all of us this is in the first coming of jesus he was born that he might die But when he comes the second time, one thing we know out of the book of Revelation is his robe is dipped in blood. Do you know whose blood that is? It is the blood of his enemies. It is not the blood of his own sacrifice. It's the blood of his enemies. When he first came, there was a prayer that was written by uh, author Algernon Swinburne. It's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, pity my simplicity, suffer me to come to thee. That's Jesus when he first came. When he comes again, it's not going to be the same, and there's a lot of blood. And the blood is going to be the blood of his enemies. Isaiah talks about this a little bit. And you know, I'm I'm running short on time. And so I'm going to save that for tonight. I knew... I have so much information here about what has taken place, but I want to speak to this too. You have the first coming of Jesus in the manger, and you have the second coming of Jesus, and it's not in a manger, and his wrath is coming with that. And how do you look at those two? You know, what was it like when Jesus was here when he first came, and what is it going to be like when he returns? This is something that we need to take to heart. Now, Again, I'm I'm going to finish this up this evening, Christmas Eve, and I hope you all can make it. I understand that some have other obligations to go to, but I'd like you to keep this in mind. God gave us all of this information, and we're supposed to meditate on this, and we're supposed to recognize the difficulty in bringing God in human form to the earth at a time that was very, very difficult. And there were a lot of perilous circumstances that could have overtaken them, but God protected them. And God did this for us. He didn't do this just for people back then. He did this for us. As we know through the whole Testament, that the gospel is supposed to go to the Gentiles, that he went to the Jews first, but it also goes to us. This is the greatest gift. So as you sit down maybe tonight or tomorrow and you celebrate Christmas, I would encourage you, offer up a prayer. Read Luke chapter 2, just a few sections of that, that talk about Jesus. We do that in our household, I think you know, as our tradition. And communicate it to others in your household. If there are others in your household that aren't Christians, just kindly ask, hey, do you mind if I read the story of the birth of Jesus and Christmas and what it's all about? And maybe you can spell out a little bit that he died so that we might have eternal life. This is our task at Christmas. 
It's not the presence. It's not the tree. It's not the wassailing. It's not the carols that we sing. It's the focus on Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would give us opportunity to be a witness. That people would understand and you would break through, pierce the veil, so to speak, of the understanding of what it means to have a Savior born here who is God in human form. Help us not to be slack in this, but help us to be gentle and respectful to those with whom we communicate. And Father, whether it's our children or family, friends, grandchildren, help us to be praying for them that they might have the salvation that we possess. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Please stand.